Hello and welcome to episode one of the Long Story Short podcast. Wow, I can't believe this is episode one. This is something I have been wanting to do and launch for so long now. So I am so excited that I am finally getting the opportunity and the chance to do this. So for the first episode, this is obviously a solo episode. So I am very much, I'm nervous, I'm excited. I've got a list of things that I want to discuss for episode one. The reason I wanted to start this podcast was because I love to chat. I'm a talker. I, if you have me on WhatsApp, if you are a client of mine, you know my WhatsApp voice messages tend to drag on for forever. So I am really passionate when it comes to discussion um, and especially about my job. So for anybody who doesn't know me, or you might know me, but you might know my full background. My name is Vicky Cornick. I am a gym owner and a personal trainer based in Monkstown, County Dublin. I own a beautiful gym, if I say so myself, called Victory Fitness, and it is my baby. It means so much to me. I opened in July 2020, which anybody can think back to 2020. That was a really difficult year. It was in the middle of lockdown when we kind of came out of the first lockdown, I suppose, Um, but definitely through a difficult time with COVID. I wanted to um, set up my own semi-private gym and managed to do it in July. But the following year, I was open, then closed, then open and closed, which was a bit of a challenge, but we'll get into that further down the line. I absolutely love my job. Um, And I know that sounds super cringy, very cliched, um, but I truly, truly do. I have the pleasure of working with women from all different walks of life. So we've got girls who are in their early 20s, right up to women in their late 60s, early 70s. The majority of women that I work with and coach have never stepped foot in a gym before. So understandably, they are incredibly nervous of a gym environment. And I really just feel... Victory Fitness offers that safe space for women to learn how to lift safely and correctly under the guidance of myself and my lovely coach, Claire. And it gives this environment where women feel empowered. It's not all about weight loss. Yes, we have clients who come who want to lose weight and want to lose body fat, but it's not all about it. We work on your mindset. We work on your relationship with food. We teach you how to get results, but in a very healthy and sustainable way. Yes, I am truly passionate about what I do. And I've trained hundreds of women over the last five years since I've been almost six in a month's time, six years since I've uh, been in the industry. So it's been definitely a journey, um, but a very enjoyable an exciting one with plenty of ups and downs, but I wouldn't change any of them for the world. So I am 24, almost two years old. So I'm recording this on, I don't even know what date it is, but I basically turned 24 in about five days time. So I suppose by the time this is released, I will be 24. Um, so I've grown up in Dublin for most of my life. Um, at three years old, My family and I, I'm an only child, we moved to Paris um, and for my dad's, for my dad's work and I went to school there in Paris or in France, they start school at a very young age. So I was only three going in for a full day uh, of school, which was looking back, uh, very difficult, quite traumatizing, if anything, growing up in Ireland, anybody who's from here, we have a very uh, welcoming culture and you know kids are kind of eased into play school then into school as much as I think France is an amazing place it was school in Paris was a very difficult time for me growing up and and I I didn't last there very long so um the the school system over there it's long days um it was just me and my mom mainly because my dad worked a lot so it was quite a difficult time and I actually still remember some of the things although I was quite young but we stayed there for two years and yeah a, a difficult time to say the least. Um, And I think my mom found it as a 40 year old um, woman with a young uh, little baby, quite, quite challenging as well. So I love, I love Paris. I've been back there a couple of times since, and it's a beautiful place. 
as far as living, I definitely struggled as a kid. Um, so that was growing up. I moved back home to Dublin in um, going into junior infants. And my life growing up was great. Um, I was five years old in school, loving life, outgoing. I had loads of friends, loads of family um, around me. And that was where I was genuinely happy. I was a really, really outgoing kid as well. So I played a lot of sports. I played Gaelic. I played hockey in school. Um, I did a lot of um kind of stage school work as well so I was big into dancing singing acting and that was really as a kid where a lot of my passion was performing so that is something I suppose I still kind of have today and I often describe being a coach as a performance if you are teaching a class or you are trying to teach something to a client in their check-ins there is some element of performance with it. So I definitely think, especially with this podcast, that this is something I have loved doing for so long. Throughout my junior school life, I was very happy. My parents are so amazing and I get on incredibly well with them. I'm super close to them. Um, But growing up, I always felt when it came to my body image, I always felt like the bigger kid. And this goes back even as far as when I was maybe seven or eight. I was quite a chubby kid. um, And I think it's okay to say that. Definitely compared to my friends in school, I was not the kid that was, you know, able to run fast. Despite me doing a lot of sport, I wasn't the fast kid. I wasn't you know, the the kid that won all the races in sports day. Um, and although I had so much confidence despite all of that, but even thinking back, what, maybe 15 years on, is that right? My maths could be terribly wrong. But thinking back to when I was kind of seven, eight, nine, ten 10 years old, I remember this feeling of why am I the bigger kid or why am I the slower kid when it comes to sports? And so that was something that is really sad for me to think about, but is definitely something that I struggled with from a very, very young age. So yeah, I would even go as far as saying I struggled with body image from seven or eight years, years old. Um, There was a period of time when I was, I think, nine going on 10, I had moved school. And over that summer, I had grown out of my kind of chubby little stage as a kid and lost a lot of weight not intentionally I was a lot more active I um fell in love with a a sport that was tennis and I was playing a lot more especially throughout the summer and just naturally lost quite a bit of weight and grew taller and slimmed down a lot um but with that people commented in a nice way. A lot of people said to me, wow, Vicky, you've come back from your summer holidays and you've lost weight, which at the time as a nine-year-old, I thought was brilliant. And it again, makes me feel sad that a nine-year-old was receiving comments, although they were compliments about their weight and how they looked. But again, those things have stuck with me to today. Um, And in that moment in time when you think back on those things you think oh was I a big was I bigger last before I left and got went away for the summer so those thoughts play on your mind and again it's very sad to experience that as only as young as nine so with that I had moved school and again for the better I was loving life I was really playing a lot more tennis and I was getting better at it. And I just, I I think back on those days and they were honestly such great days, but there was a year between nine and 10 years old where I was showing a lot of disordered eating signs. So I was body checking a lot. So for anybody that doesn't know that it is very simply looking in the mirror and analyzing your body. I was obsessed with being skinny and not gaining weight. I was very worried about gaining weight and going back to, quote unquote, going back to what I previously was one to two years ago. And I would share these 
fears with my mom and saying, mom, please don't let me gain weight. Please don't let me gain weight. And as a parent, it's so hard to like, what do you say to that? Your, your nine-year-old is, or 10-year-old is fearing gaining weight. So it's a, it's a very hard thing to go through for both the child or the person and the parents or people around them. So, but aside from that, I was really loving my school life and I had so many friends and I was just experiencing growing up in a really positive way aside from this voice in my head. But as I went into fifth class and sixth class and then into first year, part of me almost kind of forgot about that. And I ended up getting to the stage where I was more focused on going out with friends and drinking at a at a young age, which I think if you're from Dublin uh, or Ireland, you definitely experience that or not definitely, but a lot of people do experience that. So while I look back on it and think, oh my God, what was I doing? It was definitely a part of growing up. But at the same time as well, I do think, especially in first and second year, when I suppose Facebook became really popular, what else did we have? We had Snapchat ended up becoming really popular. Instagram, not so much, although I did have an Instagram account, but there was this focus of looking a certain way. We would go to anybody from Dublin knows Wes. It's a teenager disco um, that you would get dressed up, almost kind of wear nothing. Um, but again, that is where the body image thing kind of comes back again. So I probably had one to two years without analyzing it so much and stayed at a very healthy weight. I was feeling great. And then in first and second year, I kind of started thinking about my body again in a negative way, comparing myself to girls in my year that again were skinnier than I was and taking photos and feeling fat. And I think this is something that a lot of teenagers go through, unfortunately, at this stage. And although social media was becoming quite popular back then, I personally feel like it is worse in today's world. So in a way, I do feel back in 2012, 2013, when I was going through this time, I was quite lucky because it wasn't as bad or as prominent as it is today. So with that, and I suppose with that comparison of, oh, my friend can wear this dress and I can't wear this dress, I was very advanced uh, for my age. So I had larger breasts. I was quote unquote, a little bit curvier. I definitely did quite a bit of yo-yoing with my diet. And I suppose this looks like your typical, I'm not going to eat Monday to Friday so that I can binge on the weekends. That was very much the mindset that I was in and not to a an extent that it became severely problematic that it actually changed my physique by much. But again, that mindset was there that, oh, I need to look skinnier so I can go out with my friends or I need to look, you know, I need to not eat because I know I'm going to overeat on the weekends and drink alcohol. So that was a, I, and again, I think a common thing that a lot of young teenagers go through, which is very, very sad. And I think I could go off on a tangent all day, but I think social media has a big role to play in this. So my weight fluctuated, but again, not to any massive extent but I was definitely in that mindset of skinnier is better and smaller is better and that is difficult when you have a very advanced body for your age. I also had quite a difficult time in secondary school. Um, I was bullied. I briefly mentioned when I was younger I loved acting, singing, dancing. Unfortunately these things when you're a teenager are not very popular so or very cool to do. So I was actually, and people who have known me for a long time know that I had a huge passion for music and for singing, and I really did quite well in it for such a young age, and for somebody from Ireland as well, because you generally have to be in London or the US to, you know, quote unquote, like actually make it, but I had sang, um, I'd recorded my own songs by the age of 13, I had you know, been to recording studios in London. I was in newspapers. I was on the radio. This might sound like I'm bragging, but it's really not. It's, I suppose, to fill you in on what I had done, but it came at a cost that I was definitely mocked. And a lot of 
people, especially older people in my school, did not think that this was cool or thought that this was embarrassing. Looking back now, being 10, 11 years later, I think it would be pretty cool if there was a 13 or 14 year old who recorded in studios in London and everything. But I suppose when you're 16, 17 and 18, you think you're cool and you tend to rip the piss out of people. And yeah, so that was something that I never showed it, but it really bothered me and it really affected me mentally. And at the time, I don't know if I realized it as much as I do now, because maybe I'm older, I've had more life experience. I've had a mad history um, over the past 24 years, but that definitely crushed me and had me feel very small and very lonely inside. I had a lovely group of friends that really made me feel that was the that was the great thing about school, but it didn't, I suppose, remove the fact that I had a very hard time uh, with my singing and my acting. I don't want to call it a career, but it kind of was my goal to make it a career. So at the same time, around, so 2013, my parents also separated. So, and I'm an only child, I mentioned that earlier. And I have two of the greatest parents. I think a lot of people would say that about their own parents, but I really adore both of my parents so much. So when they separated, it actually was a very smooth sailing separation my dad worked a lot as I was growing up, traveled. My parents commuted. As I explained, we lived in Paris for a couple of years. Mom and I were very unhappy. So we ended up coming home, but my dad still traveled and worked for his job. So I won't get into the ins and outs of their separation, but it was a very, I think you hear about a lot of um, arguments happening in people's separation or divorces. I was very lucky that this was not the case. And it was a very Uh, calm, if that's the right word to describe it, separation between my parents. But again, looking back on it 10, 11 years later, I still do think it affected me, despite me telling every single person it did not affect me. So I went about my day, I was fine with my dad moving out. And I remember I had one of my best friends say to me, she was very upset about it. And she said, why are you not upset? And I said, well, it doesn't really bother me. I've kind of never really known my parents to be together together because my dad had worked away for so long. So by no means am I blaming my dad for the separation. I know he'll be listening to this. So that's definitely not the case. But I think sometimes people fall out of love. And that is what happened with my parents. Now, roll on 10 years later, we have had the last 10 years of dinners out together, Christmas days, we have spent all bar, I think, one of them together. And that was because my dad and I were in New York. So despite it maybe being a negative topic of parents separating or divorcing or whatever the scenario might be, it was a really positive one for me. However, I'm kind of going back and forth in two minds here. At the time, I think it affected me more than I realized, but I personally would not want it any other way because I I get on far better with my dad than I did then because I didn't really see him much growing up because he worked a lot. So him and I are like the best of friends now. And then my mom and I are also the best of friends now. And the three of us get on incredibly well. So for me, as strange as it might sound, I think it actually happened for the better But still, when I think back to what I was experiencing, despite me saying I'm fine, I think I don't think I was totally fine. And that could have been a combination of a lot of things. So like that being bullied, as well as my parents separating, I felt quite lonely. I felt I don't really know what to do with my you know, life, where am I going to end up? I had this dream of becoming a singer, becoming an actress, and that was so far away from me. I didn't know how I would ever reach that. So with that, I did fall into a little bit of depression. I ended up self-harming. I then felt I need to get out of Ireland. 
and start fresh. And I also played, like I said, tennis at the time and was really into that. But in the back of my mind, I was way more into singing, way more into acting. And I somehow came up with this crazy idea that I would move to boarding school in America. So I did my research and I found a school called IMG Academy in a place called Bradenton in Florida. And it was a sports academy, is a sports academy still uh, to this day. If you know your tennis, Nick Bolletary, it was originally the Nick Bolletary Tennis Academy. He trained Andre Agassi. He trained Serena Williams, um, the Ven- their Venus and Serena, uh, Maria Sharapova. So a very well-known uh, school if you are into your tennis. But a company called IMG bought the school, bought his school or his academy and created a school with many other sports. So you had American football, you had soccer, you had lacrosse, you had baseball, basketball, track and field, also tennis, obviously. So I had found this school and I thought it was the most amazing place ever. I fell in love with it just from looking at photos and videos online. So one day randomly, I said to my parents, I said, please, can I try out this school? It just so happened that I was going into fourth year at that time. So I'm 15, almost going on 16. And my parents said that they would have a look into it. And for my Christmas present in third year, I my, my parents got me a gift to go over for a camp just to try out the school. So I'm so excited with this. And this was kind of to see would I end up going over there for school. So... I went over in, I think it was the February of third year. So I was kind of coming to the end of my uh, third year in school and I loved the school. I thought it was the most amazing place ever. Now I did feel very scared because Florida, I mean, it's not right beside Ireland. It's a bit of a distance, but it was a boarding school. And, but I, I felt I really had to do this. Like it was a great way to, I suppose, challenge myself. I love to challenge myself. And I thought, look, worst case scenario, I do it for a year. I know I can always come home. It's my fourth year of school. Whereas if people don't know what fourth year in school in Ireland looks like, it's transition year, you do work experience. So it's kind of, people call it like a DOS year where you don't do much. You don't do much school work, but for some people, they, you know, get work experience leading into maybe what they want to do after school. So for me, I was like, the dossier I'm gonna experience something else so I went over for that little weekend and I actually didn't enjoy it for the first two or three days and I was like oh dad this is not for me my dad came with me and I said dad this is not for me I found the tennis really scary and I know it sounds ridiculous but I then thought towards the end of that week I was like no I have to do this like I have this opportunity I'm gonna do it so anyways I signed up for my fourth year of school so that would have been six or seven months later that I would have been going so I came home I finished my third year of school and I ended up getting ready to head off to the US. So I got over to America. So I'm 15 going on 16 and the social life over there was incredible. Now I'm not talking like going to nightclubs or bars or anything like that because obviously in America the real is 21 for drinking but it was, it feels like a different lifetime, but it was such a great experience. I met so many people from obviously America, but I think when I was there, there were 62 nationalities. So people from China, people from Japan, people from all around Europe, Italy, France, Spain, so many, it was just so multicultural and international that I loved it. I just had so many friends that had different backgrounds and different lives and played different sports as well. So a lot of my friends weren't just from tennis. I had, I was great friends with people on the soccer team. I was great friends with lacrosse players. Um, you would be walking on campus and you would walk past Maria Sharapova, who growing up as a tennis player, you're like, oh my God, is this even real? So it was such an incredible experience. But I will honestly say that I did not put any effort into, or if I did, I put a very small amount of effort into my tennis when I lived over there. And you know, people might be like, how did you do that in a tennis academy, in a boarding school? Were they not really strict? The thing with the school over there is that they were, it was very much a case of, and I think this was, they wanted to mature you for the better. 
so you knew what to expect when you went to college because that was the plan kind of after school it was very much up to you to take control of your schoolwork your tennis work your life outside of your sport and school so it was a really um interesting experience or or maturing experiences I suppose what I describe it as but I felt that this was my YOLO time and I was just going to live life to the fullest and there were a few times where probably shouldn't say this but we sneaked off campus went to a few house parties and yeah I just loved living life over there like it was it was something like I would have imagined a movie would have been so with that though I didn't do much work with my tennis or my school my grades were failing so that was a bit of pressure that I was kind of towards the end of the year the school year so I almost done my first you know nine months there and I was like oh I actually I'm not going to even graduate if I continue on like this not to mention the fact that I was injured as well and really just didn't want to play tennis so I kind of sat myself down at the end of so we're I suppose we're into 2015 now in around like summertime and I kind of sat myself down and was like Vicky you have two options here you can say I've done my year away I've loved it I've had a great social life and I'm gonna go home or you can say I am going to stay another year there was that option there to push really really hard with your school and tennis I just didn't take it in my first year but towards the end of my first year, and when I decided to stay on for my second year, I really worked hard. Like I said, I had a tennis coach at the time who was brilliant when it came to my coaching. I got on with him really well, and my tennis improved so much. So I was now kind of at the stage where I was like, maybe I don't want to be a singer and an actress. Maybe I actually want to pursue my tennis career. And which anyone who knows tennis, it obviously all sports are incredibly hard, but tennis is one of those sports where you feel like a big fish in a little pond. So being over here, I was quite good at tennis for Ireland. And then when you move over to the US or somewhere like the US or kind of any other country, you were like a little fish in a massive pond. So that was also a bit of a shock of, oh, you know what, this is going to be really hard. If I want to do this, I'm going to have to work really hard. So I still though was like, I think I can do this. If I I had the idea of, I want to go to a really good tennis school, like a division one tennis school, which is so hard to get into. And then I love to dream big. And I was like thinking maybe I could go professional. Very, very hard and very far from what I was I started tennis quite late as well I started when I was like nine so usually people start when they're about three or four so I felt I'd lost a few years but anyways I'm still determined to work hard but as well with that I had this coach that was really really helpful for that and really helped me when it came to progressing my tennis unfortunately as well he was quite controlling quite which led to him being quite possessive. And when I look back on it now, I think there was definitely some form of verbal, um, how do I word it? Like verbal um, abuse. I don't want to, I use that word very lightly, but it was, there were a lot of things that he would say that would make me feel as though I was trapped in a way and I couldn't tell anyone um with that my he was telling me to completely cut out my social life so I had quite a few friends a lot of friends actually in my first year and not to sound big-headed or anything but I was very popular amongst a lot of people and that for him was a no-go so I had to totally cut out my social life any person that I hung around with I had to run by him could I hang out with them so it started off as this kind of parenting role that he wanted to be and telling me what times I needed to to train at what times I needed to exercise at what times I needed to eat at 
And then it got to a little bit of a weirder stage where he would tell me what to wear. He would tell me, I I turned up at coaching one day and I had nail varnish on and he went on a 20 minute lecture at me that why do I feel the need to wear nail varnish? Why do I, I had a couple of tattoos nowhere near as much as I have now, but why do I have tattoos when I'm such a beautiful young looking woman? Why would I ruin myself like that? So it, it got a little bit weird uh, I won't go into much detail on it, but it definitely did have an effect on me. Um, I've kind of skipped forward a little bit, but go back throughout to, sorry, go back to my first year where I was loving life and social life and going crazy. Uh, that involved a lot of um, overeating in, I don't actually think it was in a negative way. I was again, loving, living life, loving life. And I mean, I have memories of me and my friends eating in our dorm room at two or three in the morning and I would eat a lot of food and a lot of less nutritious foods, we'll call it. So that resulted in me. And like, uh, like I said, I wasn't playing as much tennis as I should have been. So that resulted in me gaining a lot of weight. Again, nothing that I feel guilty about. I did at the time, but nothing that, you know, I, I regret to this day, but it resulted in me gaining a lot of weight. So my, also in my promise to myself that I was going to work harder with my tennis, my promise was also, I needed to lose weight. And anyone who knows me or knows my coaching style knows that losing weight is not a bad thing. It's not something that I look negatively at. I definitely did it the wrong way. And I severely restricted my calories and I severely over-exercised. Um, so I, I didn't quite get the balance right. So as I was losing weight, I was feeling great. I had a lot of compliments from people, kind of like back when I was eight or nine years old. I had a lot of compliments from people saying, you've lost so much weight. You look so much better now. And I loved it. I thrived off it. I felt amazing. And I don't blame those people for commenting. I think it was a nice compliment to have. I'd worked hard for it. But at the same time, I had this coach who was also telling me that I wasn't eating enough. So like I said, I did this a really restrictive way and a fast way. Like I dropped a lot of weight very quickly. So much maybe a lot of people surprised, he was actually telling me I'm not eating enough. I mean, I was training like six hours a day. I was in this mindset where I needed to constantly exercise. So I was running on the weekends when I wasn't at at tennis practice. So if did spiral into this very unhealthy relationship with food and exercise. And then on top of that, I had this controlling tennis coach who was telling me I needed to do something that I didn't want to do. And that was eating more. So from years of therapy after that, I've kind of come to the conclusion that I think my way of going against him or arguing back at him was to not eat what he was telling me to eat but that got so bad and got to a stage where I was severely underweight and I got to the stage where I wouldn't we had a school cafeteria the only place you could get your food I think there was a shop as well but that was mainly like it was all that was on campus was your cafeteria and your um the the shop as well I was 16 so I wasn't allowed I was a junior at this stage so I wasn't I didn't have a car so I couldn't drive off campus to do a grocery and anyways I had nowhere to cook my food so we didn't have access to a kitchen or anything so like you would go to the cafeteria and they would serve you your food so you you weren't able to use I think there was a microwave but in the building but I don't there wasn't any ovens or anything like that so I got to the stage where I was like I'm gonna buy a rice cooker you can do a lot in America has mad, you know, cooking, uh, machines and stuff. So I bought a rice cooker, which also cooked other stuff. And I took it into my dorm room. I wasn't even allowed to do this. I took it into my dorm room and I got to the stage where I wouldn't eat in the school cafeteria because I was too afraid of what they put in the food. If it was quote unquote unhealthy or fattening. So I would eat in my dorm room. Um, and again, something that I wasn't allowed to do or supposed to be doing, But with that, I didn't then, I suppose, lunchtime, breakfast, lunch and dinner time in the cafeteria was a really social time as well. But by me eating in my room, that meant I didn't see anybody even more so. So the only times I would see people was in school, so in class and at tennis practice, because then I would be with my coach training after. So 
things started to, again, spiral out of control. I was rapidly losing weight, but my tennis was still improving. So I almost held on to that as like, keep doing what you're doing because it's working. But I didn't know how bad I was or how much of a bad place I was mentally. This, some things included waking up in the middle of the night and weighing myself. And then I would wake up in the morning for school, weigh myself again and be disheartened if the scale was to go up 0.2 of a kilo. And crazy, crazy stuff. Like I got to the stage where my school trousers were so, we had a uniform and my school trousers were so baggy on me that I knew I needed a new pair of school trousers but I love that feeling of my clothes feeling baggy on me so I kept wearing them even though I would walk every like five steps and have to pull them up and I'd be wearing a belt so there was a lot going on and I think I was just so driven to be the best that I could but my coach kept telling me you're going to crash you're not going to make it you're telling me you want to be the best tennis player ever and you're you know, you won't even do this, you won't even do that. But again, there was also this like really manipulative side of him where he was making me feel guilty if I went out or to the beach with my friend on the weekend because I should have been training or I should have been resting or I should have been eating. And again, I won't go into all the things he was saying to me, but looking back on it, like there was definitely that verbal, mental manipulation kind of that goes on. And I know it's so common with uh, young athletes and coaches or, I mean, it's so common in the world today. And I think we're a lot more aware of it, but I definitely think that that happened physically. Nothing ever happened, but there was a lot of mental um, mind controlling uh, manipulation going on. So I was in a very lonely place. I went from being that kid who the first year of school was again not sounding big headed, but so popular and everybody knew me and I was just so outgoing and so bubbly to the second year people asking me if I still lived on campus because they never saw me so that was really a sad time again I felt so lonely in the meantime I would be chatting to my parents obviously I would be facetiming them and and letting them know and I was like they were aware that I was losing weight but I don't think to the extent that I was so I I think it was Thanksgiving 2008 uh 15 yes so 2015 my mom came out to visit me and she realized that November how unwell I was so I think she kind of spoke to my dad and said Christmas time let's bring her home which was the plan anyways but they knew in their heads that I wasn't going to be going back to school whereas I thought in my head I was so roll on to Christmas 2015 and I arrived home and I was severely underweight and I had I remember seeing my friends and my family and they didn't look happy at all to see me. And I was like to my mom, why are they not happy? Why are they not, you know, like they're acting real weird. And it was only kind of till, I think my mom eventually told me maybe after two weeks of me being home that you look quite unwell. Like my mom really realized from me being at home and spending time over Thanksgiving in in Florida with me that I, I was not well. My mindset was all over the place. I was having breakdowns over food, not being cooked a certain way. I would go to a restaurant and like I would ask for food with the sauce on the side and it would come out, maybe they got the order wrong and I would break down into, burst into tears and have a panic attack. And I know that sounds really dramatic, but it was something that was so stressful for me that it brought me to tears and it brought me to the fact that I was just not Vicky. Like I wasn't, it was almost like, and again, it sounds dramatic, but I was like possessed by something. I don't know, but I would freak out and I would absolutely flip. And the only way for me to bring myself back to earth and bring myself back to normality was to exercise. So I built up this kind of obsession with exercise and quote unquote healthy eating. So food couldn't have oil on it. There was like, had to be vegetables, but I had to count how many vegetables were on my plate and weigh out everything. And I really got to the stage where I couldn't eat or go, or sorry, I couldn't go out to eat. And um, I love my food. And anyone who knows me today knows I'm a massive foodie, but I, I really was in such a terrible mindset when it came to food and um, my relationship with food. So I came home at Christmas time and anybody who has gone through an eating disorder or has an eating disorder knows Christmas can be very, very difficult because there is a lot of indulgencies. There is a lot of people going out to eat and have fun. And I missed out on that because I was unwell. 
And there's a lot of anxiety around food because you might have to go to a family's place to eat or you might, you know, be exposed to a lot more chocolate around the house. So a lot of difficult experiences that people have. Um, So a lot of people were shocked to see me and see how I looked. And they knew that I was unwell. So coming into January, so this time seven years ago, I broke down to my parents one day and I said, I can't go back to school in Florida. And they said, we know we are actually going to, we are in contact with our GP and we are going to get you looked at and get you help. So I think that was a bit of relief for me, but it was also very scary for me because I, when you have an eating disorder, you cling on to it and it's like your comfort and it's something that makes you feel really good despite it being so harmful for you. It is something that makes you feel great in the short term, in the long term, not so much. So part of me was relieved that I was getting help Another part of me was very sad that I was getting help because I felt I would lose this control and I would lose this eating disorder that I'd become so close to. And I know that sounds probably crazy, but it's how it's how my thought process was. So it was my birthday. My birthday is the 14th of January. And on the 17th of January, I was admitted to hospital um, St. Pat's in Dublin. So three days after my birthday. And my birthday was such a weird one because... I had promised myself so much that I was going to have a slice of cake on my birthday and my parents and I went out for dinner we went to this lovely restaurant in Dublin and had lovely food again my my meal was vegetables that cooked with no butter and I think it was like a tuna steak or something basically like the lowest fat version or low calorie version thing on the menu the restaurant also had the calories on the menu and I specifically chose there so I could track the calories so a lot was going on around my birthday and then I promised myself I was going to have this big massive dessert and enjoy it and I I totally like got stage fright and freaked out just like just before I was about to order and I didn't order my mom was like are you sure you don't want dessert it's your birthday and I was like nope can't do it but I think the restaurant kind of knew because I did look very unwell and they brought me out a tiny tiny little brownie that with a candle in it that said happy birthday written in chocolate and I was so like shocked and taken aback I was like I have to do this I have to eat this brownie and when I say this the size of this brownie was like this the length of my thumb like that's how small it was in a little rectangle and I ate it my parents like were so happy that I ate it I was riddled with guilt shame anxiety after I could not stop thinking about it afterwards so that was I suppose just to put things in perspective of how unhealthy I was in my mind and in my body you also get to a stage when you are so underweight that your brain does not function as it should so which is really hard because generally not all the time but generally people with an eating disorder are underweight and in order to fix their mental um or improve their mental uh mindset around it you have to eat so it's kind of like this just constant battle that you have to eat more for your mind to improve but then eating more can be really scary and affect your mental uh, like view of it so it's very difficult my point is with all of that so three days later I went into hospital I I thought I was going to be there for two days so I brought a little overnight bag and I remember one of the nurses they did you know all tests on on me and I won't go into too much detail but basically I was like very sick um, and they did a lot of tests on me and I was chatting to a nurse after and she said, so how long do you think you're going to be here for? And I was like, two days, maybe three, the weekend. And she looked at me and she said, Victoria, because that was my name on my medical paper, she said, Victoria, you're going to be here for a lot longer. And I was like, what's longer? Is how long is a piece of string? Like, I don't know how long this is going to be. And 14 weeks and one day later I left hospital so that I suppose there's a lot that I could go into in hospital and my experience there but I'm aware like this is going to be an incredibly long podcast then but it was the thing that what I will say about hospital is obviously their aim in there was to for me to gain weight totally understand that I know that's the mission with that though I gaining weight is incredibly difficult on 
when it comes to your your mental health and your mindset around food and exercise obviously I was not able to exercise I wasn't even even for the first couple of weeks allowed to stand up for too long so that's how strict this was I remember I was standing up watching tv for no reason like not on purpose just because I was standing there and a nurse came over to me and tapped me on the shoulder and said can you sit down and I was like yeah why and she said because when you're standing it burns more calories than when you're sitting so that for me was like mind blown I was like oh my god like this is really serious and so as far as the physical aspect hospital was brilliant the mental aspect not so much which I don't know has it improved since 2016 but I would hope it has and I'm not bashing completely the mental health system like it just isn't or wasn't great when what I experienced it was very um focused like that on gaining weight but not dealing with the mental aspect of it um so and I, I picked up a lot of bad habits in there that I took with me when I left hospital so that was one of my other things now I don't know the extent of what they can do in there you're around other people with an eating disorder my thing was over exercising and eating quote-unquote healthy which is what is called orthorexia however I did eat I obviously did not eat enough by no means am I saying that but I was surrounded by other young people with an eating disorder who would refuse to eat whereas that I'm not saying it's my scenario I'm was better or less you know mentally unwell than these other people were but my kind of I suppose thing that I was trying to say to my doctor is and my nurse and the nurses was that I eat I just have this obsessiveness with healthy eating and exercise but it was almost like we were all just treated the same so again I'm not a doctor I'm not a psychiatrist I'm not a dietitian I'm not somebody who has should or should um I suppose have an opinion on that type of thing but it was my experience which I find very difficult so yeah, again, I can, if people are interested, dedicate a whole podcast to my experience in hospital, but that was kind of um, how I would summarize it. So that 14 weeks and one day later, when I came out of hospital, that was when the recovery started. Like a lot of people think, oh, recovery is in hospital and then you come out and you're better. Nope, absolutely not. You are exposed to life again. You have to learn how to live normally again. In hospital, I describe it as this lovely little bubble that everybody gets used to living in and you are you have this routine, you have this structure, whereas when you leave, it becomes really hard to get structure again. So that was something that I found difficult, like any person I can imagine with any mental illness finds. But something in me had this trust where I was like, I cannot go back to what I have what I was in the last year I'm a really determined person I have goals I have dreams I have things I want to achieve I knew if I ever fell back into my eating disorder that that would stop that and ruin that for me so I think that was my drive to say okay I really want to get better and I really want to quote unquote fix this now from my experience later on I personally feel like you can never fix your eating disorder that being said you can certainly recover and have a really healthy relationship with food and exercise which is where I'm at today but I would describe it as it's somewhat always there with you but you learn over time how to I call it turning down the voice in your head and not letting it control you so I would be lying if I said I didn't think about certain things still to this day and still don't like certain thoughts when it comes to food and exercise don't cross my mind however I have the ability now to not let it control what I do for the day or how I spend a holiday or how I talk to myself or tell myself certain things so and I think that's that's recovery and it's one million I'm, I'm proof that it's possible to get there so but that was the drive for me. I really, really just felt I cannot go back to what I was living my life like in the last year. So I suppose I turned my very determined mindset to be a smaller size and lose weight. I turned that around and was like, I'm going to be really determined to get better. Easier said than done. And again, I don't exactly know what made me do that. But something was like telling me that I want to 
I actually found this like I found a real interest and a real passion about health and wellness and sport and fitness and the gym so while by no means do I recommend that when you've recovered from eating disorder the first thing you do is go back to the gym that's absolutely not what I'm saying because I know for a lot of people that would be absolutely detrimental in their recovery I much too and I will be honest here I went against doctor's advice and dietitian's advice and I was like I want to go back to the gym but I want to gain weight because I still when I left hospital I looked healthier but I was still very underweight so my goal was to start going to the gym to build muscle to get stronger to gain weight and that was something again advised as a total no-go that I was going to feed my disorder which I can totally understand the opinion of doctors and nurses and everything um, but I'm not perfect. I went against what I was told not to do. And I started training in a gym. I started working with a personal trainer. Um, and that for me, I was very lucky who I found as a trainer because they also really helped me with my relationship with food. They taught me that I can go out, have a social life, drink alcohol, have a takeaway, and I can still reach my goals and I can still factor it into my life and be a very healthy, active, strong person. And this took years though. This did take definitely, you know, one to two years of me learning. And the way I would for, like summarize those one to two years is that there were slip ups, like not everything was perfect and like progress, no matter what you are doing is not linear. So I definitely would have moments where I'd be really, really great for maybe two to three weeks. And then I'd go out for dinner, for a takeaway, and I'd slip up and I'd panic and I'd be like, oh God, no, I can't do this anymore. Um, And I suppose each time I did that, I would wake up the next day and my fear would be that I would have gained weight and I would realize I hadn't gained weight. And I think, so I suppose what I, like kind of a way that I got better at that was by doing those things, by doing those things that I found scary, realizing the next day or a few days after it had zero effect on my body that was how I built that trust within myself. So I started working on getting stronger in the gym. At the same time, I was like, oh, I really should go back to school. I was going into sixth year though. So I decided that I wasn't going to go back to Florida because it brought back a lot of bad memories for me with the school that I was in, with the experience I had with my tennis coach and my eating disorder. I spent a lot of my eating disorder in Florida. So I just felt I couldn't really be back there and it would be worse for my mental health. So I came back home to Dublin and I joined a different school than I had been in previously. And I was there for four weeks and then I decided to leave. Um, so I, I was going into sixth year. So I'd missed out on half of fifth year. Sorry. Uh, yeah, half of fifth year, pretty much, because I was in hospital for just under four months. And then I it was summertime. So I was going into sixth year and I didn't want to repeat fifth year again. So I was going into sixth year, having not done Irish in, in over two years, and being totally behind the US school system and Amer- and Irish school system are totally different. So I felt really, really lost and really behind. I'd moved school as well. By sixth year, you're 17, 18 years old. Everybody has their group of friends. And I felt I was really lost again. So, and, and something as well, like when you are recovering from eating disorder, you have so much self-doubt about yourself that going into a new school almost just made that a little bit worse for me and made me far more self-conscious. So I also then realized I'd been training down the gym for like six, seven months and I was loving it. And my mental health had never been better in terms of how comfortable I was in my body and with gaining weight. So I was eating a lot more. I was, you know, I had been on a couple of holidays and really just enjoyed myself. And I was, had a, felt I had a really good relationship with food. So, and I was almost a year on from when I'd been in hospital. So that was kind of towards more November, December time. So I was coming again around to that year. So I said, right. I love fitness. I don't have a leaving cert. If I leave school, I don't have a leaving cert. I know that in order to work in the fitness industry, you don't have to have a leaving cert. So I thought, right, I'm going to get my personal training qualification. I'm going to leave school. There's a course. It just so happens that course is like a 20 minute walk down the road from where I live. So perfect. Everything just aligned. Like if there was ever, you know, a reason for something to happen, this was it. So I did my personal training course and I loved it. And I was like, this is what I'm meant to do. So I was just turned 18 at the time. 
looking back, I didn't have a clue what I was doing, but I was like, I was meant to do this. And it was my lifelong dream now to own a gym. So I, when I finished my qualification, I started working in a private gym, which I learned so much from. I was working for free for like six months. I was an intern. I I basically like paid to work there because I didn't drive at the time. So I would get a taxi up every morning at five o'clock, be there. I loved being in the gym and I learned so much. I got to work with so many women and it was really just, I felt I had my calling in life. Like I know that sounds so cliche and cringy, but it was so true. Uh, with these, so I suppose working with in FlyFit and doing my own training, that was kind of like two to three years where, we'll say two years where I really expanded my knowledge. I did, I don't even know how many courses I've done, probably like, God, 11 or 12 courses. I've done pre and postnatal training. I've done F4C, which is a functional range conditioning. It's basically like a mobility and strengthening a course, which is over in Manchester. I've traveled to London and done other courses. So I really, those two years was all about me expanding my knowledge and building the start of my business. And so two years after working FlyFit, I decided, right, I'm done. I'm done in FlyFit. I need to move on. I need to find something bigger and better for myself. I also then decided with that finishing up in FlyFit that I would go traveling. And I for I did that for um, a month, came home for Christmas and then went for another three-week trip with my dad to South Africa, which was amazing. So I, I did quite a bit of traveling. Like it's a big thing when you're in your college years that you go traveling with your friends. I never had that. I never did that. I wasn't in college. So I did it a little bit differently. I went to Thailand and Australia with my boyfriend and then I did South Africa with my dad. So a little bit different, but it was amazing. But I came back home in January, 2020 and was like, whoa, what do I do with my life now? I don't have a job. I really, really want to obviously still do my job, but I either go and find another gym to work in or I look to open my own gym. So I don't even know. Again, when all these things align, I truly believe, I'm not a religious person, but I truly believe that there's something that makes things happen for a reason. And I was online and I was looking at units to rent and I came across one in Monkstown and I was living in Blackrock at the time, which for anybody, that's like a 10 minute drive. So I was like, wow, this is unreal. The the place I was looking at had previously been a gym and they were now renting it out. So I went down and looked at it and I loved it. I could vision it. Like I could see what I wanted the gym to be like. So I, it was a long process, not going to lie. And it is definitely something that was very stressful at the time. Then two months on from that, we hear about this like coronavirus thing coming around the world and people are getting sick and dying and everything. And I was like, oh my God, but no way is this ever going to interrupt me opening a gym. It did. So there was a lot of stop start. There was a lot of, there was a delay in getting the equipment organized and fitted in and just getting everything set up. And that was very stressful because at that time I was only 21 trying to open a gym. Obviously there are ups and downs in any business. And there are times where I have definitely made mistakes. There are times where I'm like, is there any point in me doing this? Will I just throw in the towel? But I feel like I've built something that women feel comfortable or a place that women feel comfortable in, which is like I was saying at the start, something that I'm incredibly passionate about. I personally feel like my eating disorder has led me to do my job today, despite it probably not being recommended by a lot of people um, or by a lot of professionals, like medical professionals. Um, I feel it has really helped me and that is my experience. I think, yes, knowledge, you can have all the knowledge in the world, but experience can also get you really far. Um, and by no means do I treat everybody like my scenario or anything like that, but it's it's really made me more self-aware and more aware of others, which as a coach, that's really important. I have met some amazing people along the way. I've worked with some amazing people along the way. I have the most amazing clients ever. So if you are a client, you're listening to this. Thank you for your support. If you're a previous client, someone that I've worked with, because I don't think you realize, but you being a client and us working together, you just give me that bit more experience. And I think as a trainer, you cannot, you can't buy experience. So yeah, that is my 24 years of life there's so much more that I could have said but I'm aware this is like an hour long thank you for listening I really hope you enjoyed that if you want to find me I'm on Instagram at 
Vicky Cornick. My gym, my baby, is also on Instagram at Vicky, no, at Victory underscore fitness underscore IE. Also, I've got a website, www.victoryfitness.org. You can also subscribe to this podcast so that you get updates for when a new episode is released. There's going to be a release every Wednesday, and I am super excited. Anything that you would like me to discuss, to talk about, any guests that you think would be great for me to have on, please let me know. Thank you so much for tuning in, and I will catch you next time.